That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I mean, I could have had you all stand for the reading of God's word. That was our text for this morning, Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. Linus recites it as this answer to what Christmas is all about. And this Advent, we are we're looking at the first songs of Christmas sort of recorded in the, in the first opening chapters of Luke's gospel. And this might be the most familiar of all of them, thanks in part to Linus and the Peanuts gang. Right, this is it, though. We are here. We're at the birth narrative, still 10 days away from Christmas, but, you know, there's snow on the ground. Let's, like, let's jump ahead, right? We're, we're going to the heartbeat of the season of Advent to hopefully hear this morning afresh the good news of God coming to us. We're going to zero in on a particular phrase in the angel's song, this really short song, but it's, there's a significant phrase about the good news of Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. On earth peace. Peace among those who have the favor of God, glory to God and peace on earth. That's the refrain of the angels to the shepherds. And we can sing about it casually, we do, we often do, with cheery Christmas spirit, even, but when you really stop to consider what the angels are saying to the shepherds, peace on earth, it just sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? Peace here and now for you and me, real peace. Maybe it's because I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Those of you who know much about the Enneagram know I'm, the, I'm a peacemaker. This is what I crave more than anything. Peace in relationships, peace at work, peace in my soul, peace with my maker, true abiding peace. But really, we all crave this, not just me. Because there's so much peacelessness in our world. In our relationships, in our hearts, we're divided people. And one and the same time, peace sounds so wonderful and so elusive. So this song of the angels, it begs at least one question, at least the question we're going to go at for this morning, which is this, how can we experience this peace in a peaceless world? How can we know peace when there is no peace? I think this story provides a couple answers, at least clues to how you and I can find peace when there is no peace. But just like every Advent story, every Christmas sermon We've got, we've got to enter in in a fresh way. At least try. Try to hear this story like you're hearing it for the first time. Remove the green and red glasses. Turn down the Christmas, sappy Christmas music. Enter in with fresh eyes. Because we are not the only ones who live in a divided world. This is a very peaceless story. The world into which the, the angels sing is a divided one. And yet, peace is breaking in. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 2. We're going to start in verse 1. The readings will be on the screen behind me. Hear God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. My dad always read the birth narrative out loud to us as a family on Christmas Eve. My mom would read, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," and my dad would read, let's start right here, Luke 2, verse 1. So it doesn't take long for me to sort of flip into nostalgia autopilot when I hear this, when I hear this text read out loud. By the time sort of we get to Quirinius, like I'm in my PJs right by the recliner with my dad, it's Christmas Eve, right? It just feels good. Hearing this makes me feel warm and cozy when I, when I listen to this passage read out loud with all these names and towns. But this is not a feel-good scene. All is not peace, especially not if you are Mary and Joseph. The scene opens with a reminder that God's people are basically prisoners. The powerful Roman Empire has occupied Israel. It has command. They are under the control of Rome. And it's registration time, we're told. The census, it's just this opportunity, another opportunity for them to extract even more taxes and exercise and controlling power. You go to Bethlehem because I say you go to Bethlehem to be registered. Now, of course, this trip to Bethlehem is all part of the bigger plan, God's bigger plan. It's prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in David's town in Bethlehem. God is behind all of this. We know that. That doesn't necessarily make this trip any easier. For, for Mary and Joseph, this trip would rob them of their money. They were poor. It removed them from all of their support systems when they needed it the most. And exposed them to real harm during Mary's third, this go time. It's third trimester. She's ready to go. It's just under 100 miles on foot is the trip. Probably 8 to 10 days on foot in a caravan with others. Mary's water could break at any time. And we, we, don't, get, we don't get many details from Luke. Uh, you know, all went to be registered, each to his own town. That's what we're told. But I can't imagine spirits are very high at this moment for Mary and Joseph. I mean, we wouldn't even drive to Wichita during the third trimester, right? I don't like going to the DMV to renew my license, okay? This is obviously far more challenging a grueling trip at the worst possible time for Mary and Joseph. And we're told that as they are turned away from a place to stay, there's no room for them in an inn. Mary goes into labor. I mean, I can just imagine Joseph like, well, great. This is just great. There's no hospitals. There's no mom to help. No rooms available at the Hyatt place, you know. They are on the brink of God's promises fulfilled. I mean, shouldn't everything be coming together at this point? Instead, it probably feels like it's falling apart. They end up in a stable meant for animals, probably a dirty old cave. I mean, Jesus' birth was not merry and bright, okay? at least not yet. There were screams, there's blood, there's pain, wailing in a cattle stall. And Luke says they wrapped him in rags and they put him in the animal's food bowl. That is our God's entrance into this world. The God who made you and me, the animals, the stars, the mountains, 
he is helpless. He's crying. He's weak. Human in baby form. It's the mysterious and wonderful truth that can be so easily lost in all the hype of the holidays that God has taken on human form and entered this broken place. He becomes a little boy, the eternal son of God made flesh. And this makes peace possible for you and me. We can know peace because God comes to the peaceless. He knows our peacelessness because he entered right into it. Our God, and only our God, this is unique among any religious faith system, only our God knows what it's like to be human, knows what it's like to live in this peaceless mess, to carry what you carry, to feel what you feel. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say I was to become an expert in labor and delivery. Okay? I could read all the books, I could go to medical school, I could get all the necessary training. I would be a terrible labor and delivery doctor, but let's just suspend disbelief for a moment. I could become the foremost expert in this room on what the body goes through in pregnancy, labor, and delivery. But if I said that any woman in her pregnancy or during labor or just after delivery, you know, I know exactly what you're going through. <laughs> I mean, you should all punch me in the face if I do that. But we have a God who's actually experienced life the same way we have. Life in this peaceless world. He knows what it's like to have siblings that irritate him, to have parents that disappoint him. What it's like to go through puberty. He knows what that's like. He understands shame intimately. Just imagine him hearing, isn't that Mary's boy? They They weren't married, right? He experienced the loss of an earthly father, life with a single mom, the struggle to put food on the table to make ends meet. And as we study Luke in this upcoming year, 2020, we'll see that Jesus knows what it's like to be Abandoned by his friends. Accused by the people he came to save. Misunderstood, betrayed, rejected. He knows loneliness. He knows exhaustion. He knows disappointment. He knows grief, anger, sorrow, loss, temptation. There's nothing he hasn't felt alongside you. He knows what it feels like when God the Father says no to your prayers. He knows excruciating pain. And even what it feels like to to face death and die. He knows all of that. Not because he read the books, took the test, did the training. He walked it here. But he didn't just die. He died for us. That's That's the most peace bringing part of God becoming Human. He doesn't just sympathize with us. He's actually a substitute for us. I mean, it's, it's good. It's good that he feels our pain. It's better that he takes our place as a substitute on the cross, fully God, fully human, in order to give us peace. 
He steps into the mess and doesn't just feel it with us, but bears it for us. Romans 5, 1 says that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. He, he knows our peacelessness better than we do, you know? He knows it. He, he bore it fully. He felt it in his living. He faced it in his dying, and he defeated it in his rising. For you, for me, for all of us. And if you're short on peace this Christmas, struggling to experience it, I mean, don't just turn the music up a little bit louder or have another glass of eggnog, or whatever it is you do. Have you talked to the God who knows and cares? Have you brought your peacelessness to him? Because he wants to give you peace, like here and now. So take it to Jesus in prayer. Let your concerns and troubles and hardships be an occasion for prayer which I know is a shocking thing for a pastor to say from the pulpit. But I'll tell you, even as I was doing final prep, back in a room over here, wanting to complain to Katie about things going on in my life, I had to stop and say, wait a second. I'm experiencing peacelessness right now, and my first response is not prayer. We need to be reminded in that Paul says in Philippians 4 that God's peace is on the other side of a, of a praying life. I love the messages paraphrase of this. Eugene Peterson, I think, nails it, as he often does. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and prayers shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I love that phrase. It's a definition, really, of peace on this side of Jesus' return, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good. It's not the absence of conflict, certainly not the avoidance of it, which is my MO, but it's redemption. It's reframing of hardship for God's purposes. And what a, what a wonderful picture in that last phrase. Jesus unseats worry at the center of your lives. He could, if we ask him to. We can take our peacelessness to the one who has entered into it with us. Okay, back to the story. We're going to move from the cries of a newborn to the stillness of night on a countryside. Shepherds watching over their sheep in the middle of the night. Verse 8, Luke continues like this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. I bring so many casual assumptions to this passage Right, angels appearing out of nowhere, the glory of the Lord on display, right? Just a normal Monday evening. You know, this is just this kind of everyday stuff happening here. But maybe as unlikely as anything in this scene, 
There's some crazy, it's a crazy scene. As unlikely as anything is the audience that God makes for himself. Just like Mary from a couple weeks ago, the shepherds, they're not exactly cultural influencers. They're not many followers on social. Most of you unboxed your nativity sets. You placed the shepherds right where they go. You didn't think twice about it, right? I'm right there with you. Of course there were shepherds. Why wouldn't there be shepherds on this, in this scene? You know, shepherds spent most of their time in fields away from society with no influence to speak of. There are many reasons why shepherds actually shouldn't be the first ones to know about the Messiah, King Jesus, being born that night. They were, they were workers without much access to power. They just didn't have much social mobility. If God had hired you and I to plan Jesus' birth announcement, the shepherds would not have been at the top of your priority list to get the word to. This is not the way we would have done it. Now, thankfully, like everything in in the birth narrative and really in the whole of God's story of redemption, God doesn't do things the way we do them. We want important news to go to important people with influence, people with power who can do something about it. Instead, God works here through the powerless. He goes to shepherds in a field at night. And Jesus, he doesn't just work through the powerless. He actually sets aside his own power. He does the same. He becomes that. His birth is probably the most extreme demonstration of downward mobility in history. Second only, really, to his death on a cross. Which I want to say as an aside, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Jesus is as much God in that little feeding trough as he was on his heavenly throne. His his humanity doesn't take away from his divinity. There's no no subtraction, only, only addition. Humbly, he takes on human form, human nature. So he's still the most powerful person on the planet as a little baby. He's just chosen to enter our world without any of the privileges of social, political, or cultural power. He lays it all aside. Lays aside earthly power, picks it up a different way. I love it. Philippians Philippians 2 tells it beautifully, this hymn in Philippians 2 from Paul. He says it like this. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to reach for, something to hang on to. No, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. At the heart of the human problem, from day one, all the way back in the garden, every single one of us, we count equality with God something to be grasped, to to reach for, to strive after. We go to great lengths for this kind of power. That was Adam and Eve's problem. In the garden, it's at the root of most of our problems today. Trying to take control of our own lives as if we are our maker. And I think it's at the center of our peacelessness. Which makes me wonder, could it be that one of the reasons you and I lack true abiding peace is is because, in part, we think we can do it ourselves. We can 
We can produce it. We can manufacture it. We can arrange for it. We could earn a little bit more. We could get that promotion that will help us have more time with the people we love and there will just be more peace. Or we think we can sort of orchestrate peace in our lives and we can do it ourselves. I think if we're honest, we believe peace comes through power, through control. If not over others, at least control in our own lives. Right, power over my own life to create peace. And that's, that's what the Romans did. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There was very little conflict in Rome because they'd literally crucify anyone who got out of line. They just took care of it with power. Often I think that's how we, we wouldn't say it that way, but that's how we think power or peace works, through control. But God is showing us actually the opposite. The peace that he brings doesn't come through human power, earthly control. Instead, God works through the powerless to display his glory. That was Jesus' message to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Right As he's laying down all of his power, John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives us his peace, but not like Rome or any other ruling power who uses fear to maintain peace. Instead, Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. Just like the angels say to the shepherds, fear not, I have good news of great joy. There's a Savior coming. There's one who is coming to rescue you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A rescuer is being born into the world, the one who is promised to bring peace. I love this refrain, Savior, Messiah, Lord. We read it so quickly. But he is, he is one who has come to rescue us as the promised Christ, Messiah, and who will sit on a throne and reign as Lord. For those who admit their need for someone to save them from sin, this is good news. The Pax Romana was fearful peace through the power to crucify. The, the Pax Messiah, it's perfect, the perfect peace of Jesus. It comes in and through the one who was himself crucified. You and I, we will never find lasting peace in our own power. But you can experience God's peace in his, which means facing your own weakness with faith that he will work it out. He will bring wholeness. He'll make it good. Two months ago, I, I felt more powerless than ever before. Many of you know that I ran the, the Kansas City Half Marathon with Tim and Katie. Uh, it wasn't exactly the race day we had hoped for, that we had bargained for. I finished the race, Katie gave me a high five, and I, I collapsed moments later. The next thing I knew, I was in an ice bath to get my temp down from a pretty dangerously high spot. And in the course of treatment, as they were taking care of me, I got to the point where my body was shutting down, started to shut down which no one told me that. I had no idea I was in trouble uh, from a medical standpoint. 
Honestly, the indicators for me were far more spiritual. I could, I could sense my body and my spirit pulling apart. And there on a cot in a medical tent at a race, I, I started saying my goodbyes. I thought it was time. Like I was standing right on eternity's doorstep. It's right there. And we've spent some serious time processing those moments. They were intense. It was surreal. I was running one moment. I felt my body drifting away the next. And I, I cannot remember ever being more powerless, having less control over my life, over my circumstances. And yet, in the midst of that weakness, I knew only peace. Not fear, not uh, an ounce of fear. Not even sadness. I mean, I can't even really describe, describe it. Though the, the phrase that Peterson used earlier fits nicely, now that I've had time to think about it. A sense of God's wholeness that everything is coming together for good. Peace that surpasses understanding. Not because I was in control. I mean, the opposite, really. I'd done nothing to secure peace except to lose all, all of my own physical, personal power. It truly was the peace of knowing Jesus in weakness. And if you and I, if we are united with Jesus by faith, we can know that on the other side of weakness and surrender and even death, when the other side of death is life and peace and wholeness with him. That's the way God works, always. And you don't have to be near death to come to the end of yourself. I mean, if you feel restless right now, or like the world is falling apart around you, like, like Charlie Brown, everything I do is a disaster. Deep disappointment, overwhelm and exhaustion. If you feel powerless, powerless this morning to make peace in your world, you're actually in a pretty good place. Ready for God's power to be at work in you. course, I survived the ordeal and have had more than a few peaceless moments since then. Fearful ones, anxious ones, sad moments, right? Real life in this broken world resumed. And I drank deeply of God's peace that day in ways I never thought I would. But it was only a foretaste, like this sweet little sample of what's coming for those who receive Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The angel's song here, of course, it's not a final declaration as if the kingdom has come fully in its fullness. Really, it's just a deposit. There's more to come. Praise God, it gets way better than this, right? Peace is breaking in through Jesus, and we can taste it here and now. It's, it's truly here. You can have peace on earth, but only in part. One day, though, Jesus will come again. He will return, and there will be perfect peace on earth. He's coming to end all of the conflict once 
and for all, and bring endless joy and delight, praise and peace. We can find peace because God promises to come again, friends. And if you are in Christ this morning, among those with whom he is pleased, you can experience the peace the peace of God in the face of anything, even death. Death itself cannot separate you from Jesus. So let me ask a final question. Where have you been looking for peace? All of us are searching, young, old, regardless of what you believe, we're hungry for it. What do you think is really, what do you really think is going to finally give it to you? I mean, Linus was right. That's what Christmas is all about. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace to those with whom God is pleased. He doesn't bring it the way we would, thankfully. He actually offers it freely, without condition. You only need to believe that he came to rescue you from the sin that robs you of peace. Do you believe that this morning? This is how we can know peace in a peaceless world. Jesus was born in a cattle stall, hung on a Roman cross, and rose to new life for you, for me. And he's coming again to make it all right. And the songs we sing during this Advent season, they are rich reminders that Jesus is doing that. That he has done those things, that he's coming again, that we can taste peace now, that he promises to return so we can have it fully in him one day. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminders at this time of year that are, that are quiet, that are in the stillness, like, like the snow falling this morning. You came, that you entered into a, into a broken place with broken people like us. And you did that willingly, not just to sympathize with us, but to save us. And I pray that if anything animates us this time of year, in the midst of disappointment and grief and hardship, that we would reflect that it would be that the fact that you came to offer us peace through death. May that be our hope this Advent. And may, may we fix our eyes on the horizon as we await your, your return like a sunrise that is certain, even if it's slow. God, thank you that we can know your peace in a peaceless world, that we have good news of great joy this morning as a people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.